Hey everybody, this is Off speaking. Welcome back on the Blockworks Macro Channel. And today, guys, we have a pretty, pretty special guest. It's my honor to welcome on the show my friend, Hugh Endry. And for people who don't know him, shame on you. Hugh, how are you doing? I'm fine. I think I've just taken a line of cocaine because you told me this is the 30-minute show. And so I'm going to have to speak very, very rapid. <laughs> no, no, you can do it short. Don't worry. You can speak slow. We're going to take care of it. Um, so... Uh, Hugh, thanks for being on the show. Um, you run a pretty successful fund for quite some time. Um, you have, a, I think, a unique way of looking at markets. So let's start with markets today. I mean, what is the best analogy looking at the past, if you can find one analogy? Mm. Well, I mean, to, to understand the man, to understand the person with the microphone, um, the only unique aspect of my fund was that um, for 15 years, I was uncorrelated. I was the thing that every lover of Bitcoin desires. I was an uncorrelated asset. Now, of course, at any one moment in time, I'd be focusing on having a, a concentrated correlation to something, but then we would move on and move on. And over the body of time, um, I was uncorrelated. Um, my returns were like, you know, nothing to, to herald. Um, I made 8%, but I was basically, I was producing a positive carry on a tail risk uncorrelated fund. So that's who I was. And, and I think maybe that might help explain how I look at um, today's environment. And today's environment, historical precedence, um, I'm kind of looking at kind of gnarly points from the past. I'm looking at, um, maybe I'm looking at August, maybe it's September, maybe it's October. I'm not quite sure of the proximity, but it would be certainly 1987. Okay. Um, you, you, you'll get the, the uh, you'll get the the grouping because the next one would be February 2000. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, kind of August to October uh, 2007. So these are three periods which clearly um, uh, were, these are three periods where 10-year treasuries and their yields were rising and, and causing people to, to obviously pair off. Like treasuries are typically the stabilizer in, I, it can be many things. You clearly, we've had a 40-year, we've had the greatest bull market ever in financial markets because we've had it in the risk-free security. And, and yeah. owing to going back somewhat, but going back to for 20, 30 years, you were dealing with a security that had a, a, a vol of 10. And so it opened itself up for leverage. So you had direction, you had low vol, and you could leverage it. And, you know, uh, the financial landscape today is uh, we have giants who, who captured that trade. Okay, so... Um, so that's where you're trying to achieve an alpha and just direct returns. But for the common body of investors in 60-40, it's kind of, it's a respite when equities, you know, get, get it in the ass. The problem is that when you get periods where you're kind of being incentivized to ditch, you know, the hedge in the portfolio, mm -hmm. it then leaves you exposed to the, the, the pure risk of, of the equity class. And so that's why I go back to those periods. And... The stabilization in our world only returned when there was actually a profound and shocking uh, reversion in the price trend of the equity family. There was, you know, we needed a really bad risk event to kind of counter what was happening in treasuries. And that's kind of where it feels like the last 18 months, uh, the private sector has taken it upon its own 
to tighten credit. You know, we've we've yeah. raised ten-year uh, treasuries from forty-seven basis points. We went over three hundred basis points, and we're still give or take. You know, we're we're chasing the shadows of three percent. Of course, at the end of that process, the Fed's walked in and said, "Hey, we're going to tighten." And we're like, "Oh God, no!" It's like your uncle dancing at a wedding. Like, please, we've done it, and and anything you do now will, will just be. You, you make it like, just get out of the way. So that's creating this, in my mind, is creating a very fr- fragile equilibrium, um, which makes it really hard to support um, having a large quantum of risk on the table. Yeah. So you um, basically, you're looking at the market that is protesting against the increase in credit spreads and risk-free interest rates which make the private sector have a hard time levering up further because it's becoming prohibitively expensive, right? To lever up. It's just, you know, the whole borrowing rates are going through the roof. And equities are have actually repriced, I think. I calculated last time we wiped about $25 trillion of wealth from bonds, equities, credits, gold, and crypto over the last few months. So my question is, are we done yet there or there is more to go? Well, to put that in modern parlance, we've wiped out about eight apples. Yeah, so Apple was the first stock to gain a capitalization of $3 trillion, right? So um, so we wiped out three apples. <laughs> I, think, I think, to answer your question, I, I think there's more. So let me put some uh, meat on that statement. Um, I think, I believe that a very high percentage of the equity decline um, year to date is attributable to what I would call um, an elite grouping of riskless or what were deemed to be commercially riskless equities. And again, Apple would be very prominent in that. And the desire to hold riskless equities was very much amplified when 10-year treasuries were yielding 50 basis points. That appetite to own, to have an apple a day, the appetite for an apple a day is less when treasuries are yielding three. And one becomes more curious about risky, commercially risky equities, or again, to use old parlance, value equities. And so I want to say, by and large, a portfolio of value equities has been pretty robust and would have outperformed year to date. And then adding to the tension and the drama, what we've seen is has been this reversion in desire for risk less. Mm-hmm. And of course, woe betide you, Mr. Corporation, if it's revealed that you are not commercially riskless. So, you know, someone like um, Netflix or even Facebook, where yeah. they've had disappointing earnings and the response is accentuated. You're talking about severe haircuts of like 70, 75%. I'm looking at this period you mentioned, 87 2000, 2007, 2008, all of this preceded large deleveraging episodes, like pretty big stuff. So would you expect that we are looking into something like that? And why is that the case? Can you explain it to the Blockworks macro audience? Heavens, I don't know if I can explain it to myself. So um, (laughs) I, I, who knows what happens next? You know, I'm sitting in the same bars. building luxury houses and talking on social media. Um, but I, I've got a kind of network of kind of cool, groovy uh, 
funky people, great, great thinkers who've, who've monetized, who are like, you know, stinking rich because they just tune into the metrics. Um, I would imagine the next step is really, really smart people start pricing in the mother of all economic recessions. Really, really severe. I mean, I love the, who, there's, I, so I do not, I promise you, I, I have other uh, weaknesses and foibles, particularly tequila, but watching Bloomberg or CNBC is not one of my weaknesses. Uh, but I do get, I see on Twitter, um, one of the hosts, John Toretto or something, whatever. He's like, he's a good guy. And I, it's just, it's a feat of insanity because every day he's like, hey, well, Goldman Sachs, Goldman, uh, whatever leading investment bank, they're like, you know, like people are overstaying this. The economy is hot. Like, you know, we're just not going to get a recession. Corporate profits are duh, 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 nonsense, right? The smart people are not tuned into Bloomberg and CNBC. And what we are seeing is, um, that we so we had COVID, and at the point of COVID, of course, uh, U.S. C- uh, credit cards balances were maxed out, and and then there was uh, the relief that came with these checks in the post, and there was an initial surprise because the money wasn't spent that people actually brought down the balances, um, but then we hit about March twenty one. And this is where it's a, this this is where the immortal stain on the Fed's behavior um, emerges, because in March twenty one it became apparent to everyone that we were going to experience a V shaped recovery, that we were going to endure, we were going to survive, and we were going to reemerge kind of around about the same levels as where we'd gone into this thing. Okay, um, and people across the world partied. And they kind of, well done them. You know, it was Prince. It wasn't 1999. It was yeah. 2021. But so I, I live in a, I live in a party island. It's bloody expensive. But you come down and you lay some serious money and you have some serious fun. And fun has been off, off the charts, right? For the last year, like the houses I rent, fully booked. Prices up, everything. People want everything. And you, you go back looking at consumer credit card balances. <laughs> they're like again like woo, they're vulnerable they're vulnerable and and so what are they vulnerable to uh, look at walmart's results um last night walmart um you know, what, what did they say they said we we got caught out because there's two there's two forms of consumption there's a form there's a liberty consumption which is hey let's get more netflix subscriptions let's yeah. buy peloton bikes let's go to the restaurant let's go to the movies whatever discretionary spending let's buy a bicycle from walmart um and then there's hey let's feed the kids let's put gas in the tank let's go to work you know let's heat the house in the winter let's have the ac on in the summer and suddenly you know that's taking a big drag on your disposable. And it makes those credit card balances and that natural assumption of perpetual spending, it, it makes it it makes it vulnerable. So that and uh, my zodiac uh, star sign warnings about the Chinese economy m- lead me to suspect that serious investors really will have to kind of dial in like, uh, like, a, like, you know, really not possibly prolonged, but really a pr- profoundly nasty uh, recession. And so if that happens, then paradoxically, 
you will get a big bounce in the equity market because the swingometer for risk will say, hey, if I'm in equity, I'm trapped. Like lots of people are trapped. Institutional investors, they have to buy equities. They don't, you know, they're not hedge funds. And so they play a game between, you know, safe and whatever. So that game would be, I can see them coming back and buying. You know, Apple had a mean reversion episode. It, it, it mean reverted to its 20-month average. I use 20 and 40-month moving averages. Why? I don't know. Why not? The 20 and 40, you can divide one by the other, you know. Um, but I, through, through, my, through my time observing things, I found there were mean reverting points. I found safety and security in trying to uh, load up on risk round about those points. And, and, and paying away when I was like deviations away from those, those, those means. So Apple mean reverted to its 20, but all the other riskless stocks, they came to the 40 month. I mean, that's a real severe uh, reversion. So I think perversely, if people begin to kind of adjust the meter and think, mm, treasuries, I'm, I'm interested, you'll see a kind of 20, 25% bounce in the Facebook, Amazon, Apples, which will be enough to lift, lift indices. But on the next draft down, robust, or what I would call so risky businesses or commercially risky value things, I think they're, they're the next ones then that really suffer the market's kind of um, pain and, 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 and you know, uh, desire to kind of thrash around. Wow. You, okay. That's a lot to digest here. But the, basically the, the theme is based on the fact that as people have massively levered up and now they're facing a drawdown in, in economic growth, at some point they're going to be vulnerable and uh, China is slowing down as well. So let's say a, a sharp slowdown is coming. All right. And then you say at some point, treasury yields are going to drop and follow up right there. And that on the basis on that, then, you know, the, the, the stuff that is most correlated or priced upon treasury yields is going to rally like Apple and Microsoft and all of that. The assumption though is that treasury yields are going to drop. And so I have a question on money because we're seeing inflation being reported at whatever, 8% in the US and core inflation is becoming relatively stickier as well. And these guys at the Fed are freaking out. They tell us they're gonna tighten all the way. I'm reading Powell yesterday. We have clearly a job to do on cooling demand. Wow, that's quite a statement, man. I mean, he really wants to go there. So, so are you not, you know, what about inflation? Like, you know, treasury yields coming down, but if inflation is sticky, give me your, give me your thought flow on money and inflation. Go with it. Okay, so this is the point where we start talking, right? That last 15 minutes, cut that, put that in the bin because that is hypothetical. The market might do this, it might not, etc. Okay, money, money, money's, Alf, money's too tight to mention. <laughs> so we live, we, we are under, um, You've heard mention of gold standards, dollar standards. The dollar standard has today, if you will, if the dollar is a reserve currency, it, is, it has morphed into a, a grotesque Frankenstein version of the gold standard from the 1920s. Okay. Where, where China is in control. And I'm, I'm going to beat up on China, but for, uh, I should be saying mercantilists. But it's the biggest mercantilist. It's got $3 trillion of US securities. Okay. And the world today operates, um, I believe, I, I, and I keep saying fragile equilibrium. So China refuses. China is a state-planned economy. It mm -hmm. refuses to pursue endogenous economic domestic growth. Refuses it, point blank. 
Okay, evidence. Give me that statement. Give me evidence. Consumption to GDP, consumption share of GDP. It is shameful for such a developed economy. It's telling you something ain't right. So what is it, right? They went through the crisis of the late 1990s, the last period when the great god of macro, uh, Kindleberg, Charles Kindleberger, the uh, professor, um, and his manias, panics, and market, blah, blah, blah. Um, that was the Bible. You made fortunes, fame, and reputation just pursuing that, that book up until the demise of uh, Thailand et al., the Tigers. Um, what was their vulnerability? They had pursued endogenous growth sponsored by overseas capital, which proved flighty and created an yeah. almighty crisis. So, and, and, and again, remember, the CCP came in and like its rise was kind of, that was the last thing it saw. And so it's like, uh, message to Zell, we must never let that happen. So it's another model, okay? And the model is that, so our system, which gets a lot of, uh, people are attacking our system, rightly so just now. Our system, market-based accounting, not perfect, but it seeks to readjust. So China's had a profound comparative advantage in the manufacturing of tradable goods because it has successfully used infrastructure and, and super smartness to move peasants into conurbations, give them apartments and give them factories and give them technology and boom, right, they, they've eaten everyone's lunch. I do not take that away from them. I, I applaud that. Where it gets gnarly is that our system would revalue their currency higher and higher and higher, and it would take away those advantages. But yes. in doing so, it would enrich the citizenship, the hardworking uh, citizenship of China. You'd become richer because um, things made in America would be cheaper. A BMW, where are BMWs made? I don't know. Dusseldorf, Munich, I don't know. But one of those big boys made in Germany a lot cheaper if your currency just went up 20% last year. None of that happens. And so how do they prevent that? They consciously take the flow of funds from trade and they manage, they have a dirty flow versus the US dollar and it's dirty via their engagement. They buy $3 trillion of treasuries, right? And so we're set the wrong way. So the system is set to destroy itself. The system can only work by creating exogenous growth. Where is the, the only exogenous growth in the world is America and kind of tiny little liberty satellites, UK, Australia, um, who um, are recipients of this mercantilist capital, which is saying, hey, it's like, cocaine, you know, it's, it's like the, it's like the median, median cartels coming into Los Angeles in the early 90s. Hey, take, take the white powder. Take the white powder. It's like the white powder is leverage. Here's the, like, we're not hedge funds. We're not commercial banks. We don't, we don't want to make a return financially on this capital. We want you to spend it. Leverage. Now, in the process, what that's doing is by maintaining the comparative advantage in their favor, we have hollowed out cities, states in, in America, and th those jobs are being replaced and displaced overseas. So when you lose your job, actually, you dissafe because, again, you got to feed the kids. you got to pay the rent. you got to put gas in the tank to look for a job. You're dissaving. At the same point over in China, they're, they're dis you know, again, they're, they've got no consumption because there's no counter to it. So we're built, we're on this conveyor belt to hell, right? So now you've got the Fed and the Fed 
the, the, the Fed, let's just say it, the Fed is stupid, okay? Um, why are they stupid? Because, you know, they, their principal, perhaps only designation is the regulator of the U.S. banking system, okay? Yes. And in the 1960s, guess what? Like, banking went global. Banking went offshore. And the Fed, don't, they don't see it. Like, you know, banks around the world, you work for a bank, you can verify this. Banks create dollars. That's creating money. The Fed does not create or print money. Banks you, do. Hugh, sorry, I interrupt your flow. Go, and I'm go, sorry for that, go. but I really need to stress this out. I work for a European bank. The European bank doesn't have access to a Fed account, doesn't have access to direct Fed liquidity. It doesn't. Even bank reserves, nothing, nothing. That bank can still print loans in dollars. Just think about that for a second, all right? So, so a European bank with no access to Fed liquidity directly, no access to Fed reserves, no master account, nothing, prints dollars, dollar loans. Here you go. Fund them in the cross-currency market, which means funded in a volatile, potentially runaway dollar funding market. Mm-hmm. All right, sorry. Sorry for stopping your flaw. No, just- thank you. But, but also... To follow uh, your logic, the Fed has no idea what that they're doing it in the first place, right? So the Fed, what what is what what is the data the Fed's looking at, right? When it's determining these these prices. So again, back to the China conveyor belt to hell, right? Um, that system only continues to create this white this fallacy of prosperity, but really the reality of great great pain, suffering, and 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 a determination to break the system. It it survives because it can keep real rates either zero or negative. And that's where we come to the Fed now and the Fed not understanding this. Right? And so, so again, hey, listen, when we talk about real rates, well, what do we do? We look at five-year break-even expectations, okay? And five-year break-evens are not the print from this week or last week, right? Um, they're below that. They, they, it's, you know, people... That's a, it's a data observation point, which then will form an expectation. The right. expectation of inflation presently is about 3%. Would you agree with that? Yes, it's about 3%. And here it's important. People think that real yields are today five-year nominal rates. So five-year nominal rates minus today's inflation. No, guys. No, 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 no. If we are using the term structure of nominal yields, then we use the term structure of inflation expectations too. We need to discount what consumers are expecting inflation to be. And Hugh is right, it's about 3%. And nominal yields are about 3%. So around about zero right now, real rates, a tiny okay. bit higher. That's more or less it. So that's, that's actually why I was... So why would wise guys, why would they suddenly go, they'd get a call from something, you know, there's a recession coming that's good, it's a really big one. Like who's making that call? It's actually, they're just looking at their terminal, right? And they're seeing the real rates are either zero our real rates are going, God forbid, they're going positive, right? Ooh. So, yeah, and so, and that's when, so I, for my sanity and my blood pressure, I cannot watch you, the blind speaking to the blind. Like, Paul was like, I just watch the market reaction, and even that's a waste of time, okay? Um, the danger is he keeps, he keeps referencing a hero, Paul Walker, but, we make reputations. It's circumstances make reputations, okay? So Volker's reputation was made when? In the 1970s, right? When music was kind of like men with shirtless, whatever, uh, guitars. Um, what else about the 1970s? The 1970s was 40 years after uh, the 
death and destruction of the US banking system, okay, which had a profound change on uh, society's expectations. And society demanded that banks could no longer be masters of the universe and could no longer extend credit in the manner that they had done previously, which had which, and society had borne the cost of that recklessness. And, and, and change at the societal level is slow-moving iceberg and so on. And so you're talking about decades. Um, Soros, um, Soros, is big, you know, Soros began in 69 with his fund. And, and Jimmy Rogers, uh, you know, Jimmy, guess, you've got to give him his reference points. So you know, Jimmy's big, um, big play right at the beginning was... Uh, they wanted to buy U.S. commercial banks because commercial banks in the U.S. were utilities. They, they were just boring. They paid a dividend. They took no risk. Um, and he could see there'd been a new generation of leadership, all with MBAs, and they were super smart, and they kind of wanted to change things. But the reference, and they did change things, but from a very low level, right? So what I want to say is we deleveraged for four decades. Uh, total debt to GDP was in the ballpark 1.5x GDP, right? Mm -hmm. You agree? Yeah, roughly. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, more or less. And you know, and with the at the end of the twenties, it was like three, three and a half. So we deleveraged um, completely. Yeah. To and so you could be Volcker and spike rates, right? You know, say you know, go home, party's over. You know, um, you could do that because the environment was kind of benign, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about dogs and tails, right? Today. Our world is the capital markets, right? And debt is four and a half times. And, and we could get even higher figures if you were to bring kind of off balance sheet. But I'm happy with four, four and a half times. That is not an environment where you can be Volcker. If you're Volcker in that environment, you burn the house down. You burn it down, okay? I mean, the house is already on fire. Yeah. Um, we discovered with COVID that there is an unwritten rule or a code of conduct and there's language that you cannot disseminate in public platforms, okay? What we know less well of is that there seems to be an implicit ban on the term depression. The depression somehow went out with John Law or like, you know, it's, it's a function of Victorian Britain. It's not and it's here with us today. We have not regained like if you if you were staying at the world in 2006 and you were looking back at trend growth for the last 30 years, you'd have a reasonable ex extrapolation point for where GDP, global GDP would be today in, at the end of 2022. And I got to tell you, you would be you'd be out by a factor of about I want to say between 20 and 30 trillion dollars. It's insane. Why? Because the Fed, because like the Fed's not seeing money creation anymore. Yeah. And you, I mean, this is so important. Like when you talk about debt to GDP, you're right. And you include the private sector and the public sector, because people forget that, you know, corporates can lever up, houses can lever up. We can all lever up in the private sector too. The public sector can also lever up. And plus there are shadow liabilities. We are not even accounting there. We're looking at 400% of GDP across developed nations, 350, 400, depends what you put in there. And GDP, is that the right metric for the private sector? I mean, I don't pay off my mortgage with GDP, fuck's sake, I pay down with cash flows. I need earnings, I need salary, I need real wage increases. So for me, in the private sector, it's even worse than that, if you ask me. So now the problem is you're looking at a place where if we bring real rates from negative one and a half to zero to plus 50, 
you have an equity drawdown of 20%. That's what we're looking at today. At the same time, we have this inflation, which is running at whatever, core inflation, core services, like the stickiest part of it, was like 6% year on year at the last print. If you're Powell now, it's the last question. I want to leave you the audience with that. You're Jay Powell, right? You're trying to play Volcker. You obviously can't because of what you just described. You look at this conundrum. What the hell is he going to do? Well, it's beyond his powers, but I have thought about this. Um, what the U.S. has to do, and, and it's kind of really, you need, uh, you know, we had Plaza Accords going back decades. You need a heads. You, one's heart sinks when you think of heads of state because they're all loonies, but you, you need some kind of formal discussion at that sovereign level because we're talking about rewriting the either the formal or informal contract which governs relationships at a sovereign level. Okay, And I believe what we have to do is the U.S. has to create a, a break in the system, uh, the, a break with the mercantilists where they continue to pursue exogenous rather than an endogenous growth. And that can be achieved by imposing a 3%, like at these rates, so I'm like 10 years at, at, at three, let's say, so I'm mm -hmm. going to use the metric of three. I would impose a 3% withholding tax on mercantilist sovereign nations parking treasuries in the US dollar in the expectation that US citizens, uh, that they would rent the balance sheet of US citizens and corporate balance sheets and, and indeed the public balance sheet to create the exogenous growth that they need back home. I would say, we're going to start charging you that because there are real consequences, okay? And once you, they won't balk, they, they will, remember, these are not hedge funds. This is the CCP and its only calculation is the continuation of the, it should be, it's the con continuation China Communist Party, the CCCP, right? You know? Um, so that's, if you do that, it may be that you can end, that you can have, um, you can prevent a recession if you move into a world of positive real rate. I'm not sure, but maybe you can have positive real rates. Um, but the, the hole that Powell and the Fed is in is like they're, they're blaming workers. There's too, there's too many people in jobs uh, or the people are lazy. And, you know, it's like they keep raising rates periodically, like 2013. Uh, tw uh, tw Yellen went when 2016, then Powell came in and levitated at 2018. Um, and, and of course, this, this episode, this is the 1930s and they're raising rates and they're destroying the appetite and the incentive for physical capital expansion to, to, to build manufacturing capacity, to build fracking and more oil capacity in the United States of America, more pipelines. You can't do that because the Fed is breaking the capital system. It's making preservation, preservation of capital more important than pushing to reward society by a capital that builds a new tomorrow. That's the, that's the destruction that the Fed is responsible for. And raising rates will only accentuate that. Yog, I had never thought in this way of connecting the China engineered lack of domestic demand, because it is an engineered lack of domestic demand, recycle that capital surpluses and that flow surpluses into treasuries to actually have a withholding tax of that to discourage that behavior and to actually make domestic demand pick up in China so that the, the private sector in the US and in Europe doesn't need to lever up to make up for that lack of demand, which basically means you can delever the unproductive leverage and you can redo the calculations again and lever up when there is a productive need for capital, as you said. I mean, this is so good. I really enjoyed this, uh, Hugh. And I want to make sure that 
people can listen more of this solid macro thinking. So where can people find you if they want to hear more about this stuff? Um, so, so I'm on Twitter. Um, I think it's Hendry underscore Hugh. And then weekly, late on a Friday night as the acid capitalist, I, I tear off my shirt. I'm in my bunker in St. Bars and, and I, I tell stories um, and that can be found Hugh Hendry official and that's a YouTube channel. And then if you're flicking through uh, the bikini shots on Instagram using the same label, you'll find me. I'm a person, I, I, I have number blindness, but I see the world in colors and shapes and patterns. And so I kind of like Instagram as well. But, but come, like host, uh, take, a, take a session at the Asset Capitalist Show and you'll hear more of this, this chat. For the rest, guys, you know where to find me. Alf, the Macro Compass newsletter, all free, blah, blah, blah. Just check me out. And also subscribe to the Blockers Macro channels. We're going to do most more of these interviews every week. And you, uh, thank you very much for being with us and giving us this wealth of knowledge. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.